All right, join me, please. First Corinthians 12. You're going to hear that a lot this year, by the way. Put a bookmark there. Your Bible will open there naturally soon. First uh, Corinthians 12. Uh, into verse 4, 5, and 6 today. We're really moving fast at this point. Sort of. 4, 5, and 6. First Corinthians 12, 4, 5, and 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Father, we have much to learn from this chapter, and we pray as we submit ourselves to your word today, to learn from it, that you will do that great work inside our hearts to help us not only understand it, but also willing to participate in what you call us to do, that you might uh, renew us completely to be in tune with your great work in the church and help us to learn well today and to be willing to learn and to be willing to do what you call us to do. Help us, we pray. We're just asking that because we're not only your children, but we're very needy when it comes to understanding your ways. Guide us through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. In this passage we're working on, we're talking about the efficient functioning of the church and how does that look? And what's our place in all this? We've got a lot to do in our study, and I've been setting foundations for you the last uh, month and a half or so in this passage, trying to outline what we're trying to learn here together. We, we do appreciate the fact we function as a church. Uh, we want to be efficient in that functioning. That, we're not wasting time and effort on things that are unnecessary, that we're giving the right emphasis to what is necessary, and that in all things God is glorified when he looks down and says, yes, that's the way I designed it. Wouldn't you like to hear words like that? Uh, as we are working through this, when you get to verse 4 and on to verse 7, particularly with this area, we're starting to see how God built the church. What did he do in organizing and planning and constructing the church? And uh, to understand that is to understand an awful lot about our functions in it. We have to understand how it's built. And so we have this section here that starts to describe the things he's put into it. And we're going to give it some emphasis today. But I want to take from that phrase, that phrase, uh, how the church is built, and take you to one other passage just to get us started here this morning. And that is in Ephesians chapter 4. Go just a few pages to uh, the back, toward the back of your Bibles there. Not too many pages, but the book of Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, that neighborhood. Chapter 4. I really personally find verse 11 on through verse number 16 to be favorites of mine, and I brought them up a lot. I know that. I think these are maybe if, if a pastor could assign verses that everyone must memorize, this would be on that list uh, because it reminds us of the, what God is doing 
and what his goal is ultimately. But in the midst of that, right in verse number 12, a very important phrase, after he talks about the, him giving to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, verse 11, verse 12 says this, What are they for? For the equipping of the saints. Why equip the saints? For the work of service. What is that service? It's the building up of the body of Christ. If you stop and just evaluate that little phrase right there, does that sound like we have something we ought to be doing? Yes. And how many of us are involved in it? All of us. It's meant for all of us. God has gifted, gave us gifts that we might use these gifts for the sake of all of us growing up to be like Christ. That's a pretty big task. That's how God builds the church. And He uses the word for the building up of the body of Christ. And He says again in verse number 16 toward the end, He says, the proper working. I'm just going to jump right into the middle of verse 16 there. The proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I'm going to make the point, because Corinthians does, that every single one of us are important. We're all important in this project. Not one of us is, is uh, apart from this great task that the Lord has designed. And so it's important for us to see, then what is, what is my place, what is my part, so that I can do it so that people are built up to be like Christ. I hope that's what we come down to, is what can I do to help somebody else be like Christ? When's the last time you thought that thought? That you're there to help somebody be like Christ? Well, that's what we're going to study here. So, back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, 5, 6. I'm going to add verse 7. He just talks about there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for themselves. No, Nancy saw it. She's the only one following. Okay, Nancy, what? You see it? For what? The common good. Each one, each one, hear those words, each one has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's important. All of this is designed for the church. This chapter is designed for the church. You are here for the church. Did you know that? In, in modern circles, we've had a, a movement in the church body over the last 20, 30 years that people have going to, started going to churches for themselves. What am I going to get out of it? Are they going to entertain me enough? Or am I going to be satisfied with what they have to offer? And they start to put down all these expectations of what do I get out of the church. When you understand God's churches, what am I supposed to give? Because I'm here for a reason. And God gifted me for a reason. And He put me in this body for a reason. And my reason is for everybody else. And that's a whole shift of the thinking. In a world like ours, it's very self-centered. Have you ever noticed that? 
That's, that's just the nature of it. So, we're looking at this, verse 4 through 6 especially. There are two sides we're looking at, like two sides of a ledger. And some of you who write notes, it's easy to see. There are two sides here. Uh, it's one sentence that we're dealing with, and these two sides, one is the working parts, which I call the variety of gifts. That's verse 4. The second item, the variety of ministries. And in, that's in verse 5. In verse 6, the variety of effects. That's down one column. These are the working parts. The other side is the worker. The one who created all this. The one who activates all this. The one who sustains all this. The one who oversees all this. And that is the Holy Spirit. On this side, we have the same Spirit, verse 4. The same Lord, verse 5. The same God, verse 6. We talked about that the last couple of weeks, just to establish that uh, really when it comes down to the importance of both columns, they are, but they're not contrasts. You're not asked to choose which side you want to be on, because they're both important for how the working parts relate to each other in the fact that this is God's plan, and we're all a part of it. And so we have to not only know the working parts, which is what's interesting to us, but we also have to know who is the one that designed it in the first place. Who is the worker, the one who created it, activated it, sustains it, oversees it. Uh, those things we're studying too. So we talked about that last week. That was column two. We're going back to column one today, and we're going to talk about varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, varieties of effects. And just to be honest, it's only verse 4, because I saw my notes. All right? It's going to be just verse 4 today. And then we're going to hit verse 5 next week. Okay, when we start to focus on uh, what the Lord is doing, it's very important to understand this, because anytime you insert the idea of spiritual gifts in the conversation, no sooner do you start with that that our humanness starts to show. We start to think about what's my gift and how important is my gift and how does my gift compare to somebody else's. And, and you know what? That's, humanly, that happens. Humanly, that happens. That's, that was true of our Corinthian church as well. We're living right now at the time where the Olympics are going on. And whether or not you watch it or not, I understand that not as many people are watching it as normal. But uh, these folks are out there for medals. That's their goal, right? I mean, they went all the way over there, just practiced all that and perfected all that so they could gain medals. And I notice in the news every day they have that chart on the side of the sports page somewhere Metal count. You ever been looking at that? Seeing where we are as a country compared to the other countries and, and how many medals we have and how many medals they have? That's their goal. And these are comparisons that you make on charts and trophies that you've mentioned and all these other things. Unfortunately, we do that as human beings too within the church. We, we tend to look at our gifts as some sort of a thing to compare, one gift to another gift. And is my gift anything like your gift? Is my gift better than your gift? Is my gift different than yours? We, we compare gifts as we compare trophies or plaques on the walls or some sort of cert, cert, certificates of some nature. 
And some people come away thinking, well, my gifts are kind of insignificant compared to others. And we have those who do that, don't we? You don't have to raise your hand and say, I'm one of them. But there's people like that who will say, well, I, I'm going I'm to look at my gift and say, you know, it's really not very significant in the church. And I just want to say something. Really? If you think that way, really? Did God not make that gift? Did God design that gift? Did, did the Holy Spirit waste his time by giving you such a gift? You say, well, it's, it's insignificant. Is it a leftover? Is it that, well, I don't know what to do with that person, so let's give them this gift. <laughs> Is it one of those deals? How, how do we look at these things? Did, did the Holy Spirit make a mistake in the way he designed you? I have to tell you, when we study spiritual gifts, there are thoughts that go through the whole human mind as to where do I rank in the list of these important things. And so many times when we're looking at ourselves lowly, we forget who designed all this. Who, who made us who we are? And for what purpose did he put us here? Do you know that even the most insignificant gift is for the church? As much as the other ones that we don't deem as as insignificant. They're all for the church. And the church will not function right without them. That's very important because we're always looking at the upfront gifts. We're looking at the ones that, that can generate pride in people. Yeah. Competitiveness in people. Yes. Something ranking as to perception and importance and all that. And the reason why I bring all that up is because that was the Corinthian church. And with Paul's addressing them, that's the way they behaved. And they were very good at being competitive and divisive. And they worked on these gifts in such a way that Paul says, this is the most inefficient setup I've ever seen. You're acting like children. You should be well beyond that by now. And so he has to address all these things. I've told you before, the best way to read this book is to yell it at somebody. And then you get the feel that Paul says, I'm serious, guys. You need help. <laughs> and he's correcting them. This is a whole book on correction as to what they need to know. So, remember still, this is God's design, not Pastor Bob's design. I didn't create this Bible study. I'm just reading it from God's Word. This is what he told us to do. And remember, God is God. Is that too elementary? God is God. And His design is right, isn't it? Absolutely. So we talk about Him first because we need to know this is about the Holy Spirit. And if we forget Him and we forget His sovereignty in the church, we are no longer operating according to truth. And then we're in trouble. We start to insert human pride and human attitude and human all that into it and we've got a mess. So that's why I want to, to understand where we're trying to function here. It's like taking the motor out of your car and thinking it's going to run the same. You can't do that. God is up front and first and foremost in what we're studying here. The Holy Spirit is the one who created this. The Holy Spirit is the one who activates it, oversees it, sustains it. He is the one who saved you. He is the one who sanctifies you. He's the one who sustains your Christian life and he seals it that way. He's very active in your life. 
all the time, from beginning to end. He's the one that's going to bring about God's plan for you when you were saved. He's the one that's working in the whole collection of believers, regardless of whether they know it or not. He is, because that's what he does. He's a worker. And unless he works, folks, nothing happens. So we understand that, don't we? We're all okay with that? We've got to have that understood as we step into these second columns here and such like that and start talking about what did he give us? Varieties of gifts, it says. Varieties of ministries. Varieties of effects. I'm really quite fascinated in the study in this section as well. Not just because it's a study of spiritual gifts. That's pretty cool. It's really fun to walk through these. But remember that an immature church, like the Corinthians were, the minute you start in on spiritual gifts, they became divisive. They became competitive. They became proud. They distorted the gifts to the detriment of the church because they thought it was all for them. And I want to stay in the text. I want to stay in the context. I want to see these words in light of the masterful, creative way in which God, who formed the church, wove it together like some tapestry, where all the parts and all the threads and all the pieces were designed just right. And guess what you get when you look at it? A better view of of an incredible design. And the more you look at it, the more excited you get at the intricate details in which God has put this all together. To me, I think it's fascinating. And I don't know if we could ever plumb the full depth of it. Just to use the word, there are varieties in your context. Varieties of gifts. Some, like if you carry a King James, you see diversities there. In verse number 4, you see differences. In verse number 5, you see diversities. Again, in verse number 6, those are all the same word. They're the same word that you have such words as varieties or different kinds. You might have it expressed in your translation. It's all the same words. It's a very interesting word, by the way. Diversities. It's a very old word, they say. It speaks of distinctions and differences and distributions. It comes from an interesting word. We had a, a fun with this the other night. Thursday night, we have a, a, we're teaching Greek. You ever want to learn Greek? Just come on out and we'll help you. Uh, but we have a group. We meet on Thursday nights and we're walking through it. And in that section, we learned in the, pronunci- in the pronunciation section a little symbol called a diaresis. You ever hear of one of those little guys? Diaresis, you say, huh, what's that? Well, a diaresis, we'll have a little fun with punctuation for a minute, okay? Uh, A diaresis, okay, you've heard of a diphthong before, right? Okay, take two letters, put them together, they're vowels. O and I, what do they sound like? Oh, very good. We should do that a lot. And people will come in here and say, what did they say? Oi, 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 oi. That's what it is. Oi. It's, it's where you take two, an O and an I. Eh, you put them together. Oi, oi. One sound. Okay? We do that with O and U. Oo for soup. All right? We take two vowels, one sound. Get it? That's a diphthong. We have them in English all the time. 
We, we do it that way. If you wanted to have a word where both letters were pronounced separately, you put over the second letter two little horizontal dots called a diuresis. The Greek does this. All right? You put these two little dots above it, and it says, pronounce both letters. Pronounce both letters. And you say, ooh, okay. Well, it's, it's a bit of a challenge because you're used to saying them together. And in this case, you have to give each one distinction. You know what's really cool? That is the exact word in this part of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There is a diaresis of gifts. And I said, what a cool way to say this. What he's saying is, each one is important. Everyone. We tend to stuff them all in the same box, and then we just put gifts. He says, no, there's distinctions here. Don't, don't lose the masterpiece of the sound of this. All parts are necessary. Every part is to be taken up as important. And that's a verbal thing. That's a pronunciation thing. But it's actually the word used in the Greek text to say how God put together the gifts. He says, yes, there's a division out of it. We, we set them all up in such a way that each one is important in its part. We use the word division in a lot of different ways, usually negative. In our day and age, we know that's true. There's divisive things going on all the time. But in the Old Testament, there's an interesting picture of division. Take the time when, when all the priests and the Levites, and they're all of the family of Levi, were set apart for temple services. Now, what that would look like is 30,000 pastors up here in front of you this morning. A little overwhelming, wouldn't it be? That would be, whoa, that's too much. Well, the Lord said, okay, we're going to have all these people set apart for service as Levites, but I'm going to put divisions in among them so that each one has its function. For example, like when they moved the tabernacle from Mount Sinai all the way through the wilderness for 40 years, every time the Shekinah glory got up and left, they pulled it up and went. It was a tent, right? And it had a giant fence around it that, that was part of the structure. And it had the altars, and it had the ark, and it had all the, the candlesticks, and all those various parts. If you were of the family of Levi, your particular family was assigned to some of the parts that had to move from this camp to that camp. And I kind of think it'd be fun if your family, for example, was in charge of tent peg number 89, and so when the day came that it had to be moved, your family would walk over there, get that tent peg, pull it up. You would carry it with you to the next place. And when they needed tent peg 89, guess what? There it was. You brought it in. They put it back in. Everything reconstructed. Was that tent peg important? Oh, yes. And that's how they took it. They moved it that way. But even within that... They were divided according to singers here and those who were in charge of sacrifice there. And some people were in charge of carrying out the debris and the ashes and burning the carcasses out in the, outside the camp. They had all these different tasks within the service. 
They were even divided according to time. Because you can't have 30,000 people at one time around one little tent. And so they had it divided according to, if you will, their various schedules. You know, this was night crew. This was day crew. This is a group that worked for this month. And then they got off next month. And another group came and did that and did that. And so all of this was designed in such a way that people got released. And yet they served and they all had one purpose. Keep the tabernacle going. And then when David started to arrange that for the temple when it was going to be settled, and nobody had to carry tent pegs anymore. He put them into different services, like guards in front of the front doors and various parts. Somebody had to be the janitor too, you know. There was a lot of work that went in the temple, a lot of parts and pieces to it, but they were separated by division. That was a good thing. That was a logical thing. Matter of fact, it made it efficient. Because God separated each little part. And each one was unique, but each one was important. You starting to see the picture? When we see the word, there is a, a variety of gifts. Understand the beauty of that word. There is a masterful thinking behind that word. Because the ministry is not just one chunk of one thing. Let me explain it. Let's say that the gift is blue. I'm just going to throw a wild idea. Right? Everyone's got to be blue then, right? Everyone does whatever blue does. They look blue. They act blue. They talk blue. Whatever it is, they're blue. You say, after a while, that'd get old, wouldn't it? But rather, he says, nope, there's a gift, and if that one's blue, there's another gift, and it's yellow, and they're not the same. They're different. They're designed that, that way. That's the way we do everything. We, we use variety in order to show its beauty. So Paul says, there is differences. There are distinctions. There are varieties. There are different kinds. God could have made it otherwise. But I'm glad he didn't. We just look at the way God created this world. You know, he could have made everything gray. Think about that. Sky is gray. Trees are gray. Flowers are gray. Sanctuaries are painted gray. Everything's gray. Can you imagine that? Just gray. Everything's just gray, gray, gray. Everybody's gray in the color of their skin, and the color of their eyes are gray, and their hair is all gray. I know some of us are getting better at that, but... (laughs) Could you imagine that? What would we be complaining about? Variety. We'd say, but can't we have one touch of color somewhere other than gray? What if God, in designing food, made it all one shape, one color, one texture? I know the guys who ate manna for 40 years started to think that way, didn't they? Ugh, that man is stuff again. But you know what? If he did that, I would like all of it to be chocolate. <laughs> I could tolerate that. But, but imagine everything you bite into looks the same, tastes the same, always the same. Would it bother you after a while? Set that all to the side for a minute and think about this. We have a very creative God. Do you not think he's going to put that into the church? 
That is exactly how he manifests his design within the church. He could take people from all different backgrounds, all different education levels, all different kinds of economic levels, all different kinds of intellectual levels, anything. He could take them all, put them in his church, and every one of them have a part that's important to the function of the whole. That's his variety. And he's good at it. He means for that to be that way. He wants it to be that way. It would be boring if it wasn't that way. Matter of fact, it'd be hard. Because if God had set it up as just this, and you didn't match just this, guess what you feel? You don't belong. And that's what comes from those who don't seem to fit in. Take, for example, our our wonderful choir that sings for us uh, on these Sundays. We listen to them. What if they all sang all of it in unison? Now, some of that was in unison. I heard that this morning. You probably did, too. But imagine every song they sang was all in unison, without the variety of the parts. But say that they all sang the same word for everything they said. Imagine that they all sang it on the same note, the same word for all that they said. That would be monotonous. We call that a monotonous monotone, which is the same word, by the way. But that would be, it would be, da, 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 da. Who's going to listen to that? If you really like that sound, call somebody with a busy signal on your phone and just enjoy it. <laughs> it, it would be that annoying on a Sunday if there was no variety in what they sang. The various parts, the pieces, the tones, the words, the stops. The, the, the notes, everything. All of those have a part to show you variety of expression. And we get into that and we love it because of what it does and it encourages us. All this to simply say what I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Version, verse 4 of chapter 12. This is what it says. There are distinctive varieties and distributions of endowments. Gifts and extraordinary powers distinguishing certain Christians due to the power of the divine grace operating in their soul by the Holy Spirit. And they're very, but the Holy Spirit remains the same. Say, wow, that's a lot to say. But the point is that God has designed it this way. The variety is important. That means you're important. Do you know that? If he gave you a gift, which he did as a believer in Christ... You're important. You're important to this fellowship. You're important to the body of Christ as a whole. You have a place here. You have a role here. You have something that God has designed you to be that gives beauty to the whole. Do you see that? It wasn't an accident. And he wasn't punishing you by saying, Oh, I'm going to give you the worst job I could think of. It's not that at all. He says, I need you to fill that job. It's an important job. Here's how John Calvin wrote it out. I thought this was very important. There's good insight here, but folks, there's also a warning here, and I want you to listen for it. The symmetry of the church consists, so to speak, of a manifold unity. That is, when the variety of gifts is directed to the same object, As in music, there are different sounds, but suited to each other in such an adaptation as to produce concord. Hence, it is benefiting 
that there should be a distinction of gifts as well as of offices, and yet harmonize as one. Paul, according in Romans 12, verse 6, which we'll get to, commends the variety that no one may, by rashly intruding himself into another's place, confound the distinction which the Lord has established. So, going back to music, some of you know music. What if God designed you to be an E-flat? I mean, not, not everything, just an E-flat. That was your purpose in life. And any time music came up, your job was to sing an E-flat. Is that important? Yes. If you're missing that in the choir, that's going to sound funny. Where's E-flat today? That'd be funny to map out the choir that way, wouldn't it? But see, that's the, that's the beauty of it. If we take one key off that piano and say, we don't need that one, I don't think Melissa's going to like it. Plus, there's a hole in the piano, and it doesn't look good. I had a friend do this once. Uh, we were talking about an issue that was come, came up in the church, and, and there were a lot of people, because of that issue, who stopped serving in the church because they were upset. They stopped serving in the church. And it started to have that effect, that feel after a while, like, what's going on here? Something's not right. And he said that he, he thought of it one night and he came up with this idea. And he says, it's kind of like a, a orchestra playing. They're all playing along a beautiful song together, following the conductor. And one of them stops. And he's just sitting there. And then he nudges the guy next to him and says, Hey, wait a minute. Stop. Listen. Something's missing. And they both sit there together and they say, Ooh, yeah. There is something missing. So he elbows the next guy. The next guy, Stop. Stop. Listen. 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 Something's missing. Guess what was missing? They were. And they noticed it because the music didn't have their part. And the whole while they're saying, something's missing here, and it's really themselves. And how often is that? That we think, well, my part's not so important, so I'm not just going to do it. And if we're missing that part, does it change the whole? Have one of your spark plugs quit today on your way home. Do you think your car would notice? Okay, you got the picture? Be a spark plug, right? A working one. That's another picture. But here's the thing. There's our warning. Because sometimes we sit back, as this whole passage is going to say, and say, but I'm not as important as that word, or that note, or that spark plug. I'm not as important as them. So I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. And that's where we have trouble. Or the other extreme is one person says, well, I like their gift, so I'm going to do that one too. And I like their, I'm going to do that one too. And pretty soon they're starting to grab up all the other parts that they weren't designed to do. Do you see a warning in that too? That's what pride will do to a church. And it does it in a hurry. When we're not functioning as God has designed it, the, the Corinthians failed to see that. They didn't understand that. He goes on. Look at verse 14. Just jump down the page a little bit. For the body is not one member, but it's many. It's many. There was a joke I heard years ago about the uh, invention of the piano. 
and they came up with this great idea for a piano, and they made this giant white key. They put it in the piano, and they go boink, 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 and then somebody invented the crack. And now you've got two, two different sounds. We've got a lot of cracks in between notes. Without that, there's no variety, and yet it's one instrument. We've got the Corinthians. The body is not one member. It's not one big piece. It's many pieces. It's all put together. If the foot should say to the hand, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, is it not therefore a part of the body? That's a good question. If the ear should say, I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, is not therefore it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the smelling be? But God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Put a note right there. Circle it, underline it, put it in red, whatever you must do to see that verse. God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Now, there are many members, but there's one body. If they were all members, where would the body be? If they were all one member? It says in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Or again, the head for the feet, I have no need for you. That, folks, is a picture of immature thinking. That is what the Corinthians didn't. They did not recognize the diversity, the division of the gifts. They were divided. Yes, they were. But they were divided in a different way. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm of Christ. They had divisions in among them, but it was detrimental to the body. They weren't working as one. So, Paul writes a chapter. It's called 1 Corinthians 13. And you have written it all out to share with your valentine tomorrow night. What is love? What does love look like? Again, the best way to read that chapter is to yell it at somebody. Then you get it, because everything in that it says love does, the Corinthians didn't. What love is, the Corinthians wasn't. And so it says, love does not envy. Does that break up the diversity of gifts in a very quick way? Oh, yes, it does. Love doesn't brag. Does that create problems in the diversity of gifts if one of them is bragging? Yes. Love is not proud, but they were. Love does not seek its own way, but they did. These words just pop off the page to me. How appropriate that we label these things gifts. Gifts. That's the word we use. It's from the Greek word charisma, by the way. It's the gifts that the Lord has given to us. Special endowments given to us. Qualifications. Miraculous faculties. These are free gifts given to us. They're gifts. Hear them? Gifts. Just like grace is a gift, is it not? Grace is a gift given by God. How many of us earned it? Nobody raised their hand. I've got to check balcony too, just to make sure. We didn't. 
It's a free gift. It's not earned. It's it's not even naturally inherent within us. This thing called gifts is given. It's given to us. I'll read you another quote. I've got to quit here because, boy, I've got a lot. Anyway, John MacArthur, these categories of giftedness are not natural talents or skills or abilities such as are possessed by believers and unbelievers alike. They are sovereignly and supernaturally bestowed by the Holy Spirit on all believers, enabling them to spiritually edify each other effectively and thus honor the Lord. So do you have a gift? Yes. Is it important? Yes. What is it there for? It's for the other guy. Do you see it? It's for the other person in this fellowship. It's for the body as a whole. It's them. So that we could all grow up to be like Christ. So that we could honor his name. So let's not start on the wrong foot when we study our gifts. And think that they are our gifts. They're God's gifts in us. That's very important for us to understand that. I'm going to talk about what they are next week. Right? I've got this page and this page. And these are fine print now, too. And this page, and there it is. So, spend some time in 1 Corinthians 12. Can I encourage you to do that? This week, you got time? Anybody too busy? 1 Corinthians 12, just read through the chapter once. Just once. Start thinking about what these words are, because I would like us all to really absorb this passage. It's beautiful when a church functions the way God designed it. And we want to be there, don't we? Yeah, I think so. A lot of heads are saying, ha yes, let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so kind to give us these words, to help us understand it to glean from passages like this, and yes, even from the mistakes of others who couldn't do it right, that we might see your beautiful design in the construction of the church and how it operates and how our parts fit into it. May we not become prideful in any direction, whether thinking too much of ourselves or thinking too little of ourselves, but may we learn to think as you have thought of us, that you designed us, that your name might be glorified in our midst. Teach us to grow up in all this, Lord, we pray, that your name will be honored. And we thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Amen.